another episode of Conversations and Connections, the official podcast of the Family Crisis Center of East Texas. I'm Stuart Burson, the Prevention Coordinator for the agency, and January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. So in recognition of that, we have our human trafficking specialist, Maria Villarreal, uh, with us, as well as Janet Casper, uh, who's joining us via Zoom. Janet Casper is the East Texas Regional Administrator uh, for the Office of the Texas Governor's Child Sex Trafficking Team. And we pre-recorded this uh, conversation with uh, Maria and Janet right before the holidays, and we're going to uh, play that now. Uh, Human trafficking is a very serious problem, even in rural East Texas. And so we're going to talk to them about that, and I hope you find this conversation meaningful and informative. Well, again, Janet, um, well, I want to thank Maria as well uh, for doing this, but uh, Janet, I want to also thank you for uh, taking some time out and doing this today via the, the magic of Zoom. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So, so Janet, you're the East Texas Regional Administrator for the Governor's Office of or the Governor's Office's Child Sex Trafficking Team. Um, what exactly is that? I mean, if you could kind of give the elevator pitch, I guess, or so to speak, what sure. exactly is this team and, and what do you do? Yeah, so this team really is uh, Texas's response, um, really proactive response to address child sex trafficking, the commercial sexual exploitation of children and youth throughout the state of Texas. Um, it was something that Governor Abbott specifically asked the legislators for. As Attorney General, he saw that sex trafficking was an issue in Texas, and he saw that the response um, to it in the sense of all the prevention work and um, all the way to the recognizing, recovering um, those who are being trafficked um, was very disjointed. So he asked the legislators if they would give him a team embedded in, you know, in his office to address that very thing. So we were created to really address the full continuum uh, related to uh, the commercial sexual exploitation of children and youth. And so that means building out strategy, strategies to better protect and prevent trafficking, to recognize it when it is happening, and to uh, better equip our law enforcement and our service providers to recover those who are being trafficked and to ensure that when they are recovered, that that recovery is trauma responsive and that there is a very coordinated uh, system in place to ensure that the services are there for that child, that they don't, get, that they don't fall through the cracks and that that service is not just short-term, but it's long-term throughout their entire healing journey. And then to also ensure that we have a very robust when it, uh, response when it comes to bringing justice. Okay. We want these cases prosecuted. Yeah, all right, very good. Um, and, and of course, Maria, you feel free to, whatever we're asking Maria, I mean, feel free to, to answer uh, or, or chime in as well. But, and I know Maria and I talked about this probably about a year ago when she was on the podcast when we were getting ready for uh, uh, Human Trafficking Awareness Month. But I want to ask both of y'all, how big of a problem is human trafficking here in East Texas? You know, you, you, 
again, you kind of think of the big metropolitan areas a lot of times, I think, when most people think of human trafficking uh, and not really so much the rural areas. So I, I do have some data that I can share with you. But before I do that, I would uh, not to put you on the spot, Maria, but I know that you are working the front lines and you work with these survivors. And I know that you and y'all's agency does incredible work with this population. And so um, I might defer that to you in the beginning and, and I'll, I'll give you the numbers that I was able to pull just recently, but I uh, would love to hear what you're seeing on, on the ground. Yeah, well, thank you for the kind words, Janet, and thank you for all you do. Oh, thank you. You've been a big guidance to us. Um, so what, what we have seen as an agency is that um, between sex trafficking and labor trafficking, we definitely see more sex trafficking survivors. Um, thankfully, a couple of months ago, um, VOCA, a grant, um, has given us, has given agencies like us um, the ability to keep track of how many human trafficking survivors we're seeing. And that has helped me keep a better track of how many survivors we have seen, like of sex trafficking, labor trafficking, maybe even both. And I can tell you right now that between the two, um, I have seen two labor trafficking cases so far since a couple of months ago. And then sex trafficking cases, I mean, I would say maybe about 10, somewhere around there. Um, and so whenever it comes to reporting, um, I and I see this the majority of the time, my clients do not want to make a report. They don't. And a lot of times what I tend to hear is that like, well, I don't want to make a report because my trafficker told me that the law enforcement may just see me as a prostitute or my trafficker told me that he's going to kill me or kill my family if I say anything. So it makes sense whenever I hear law enforcement say like, well, we don't really see them or, you know, I haven't seen any cases or anything like that. Um, it, it makes sense over here because what I'm seeing with our clients that they just, the majority of the time, they do not want to make a report. Yeah. And you're, you're exactly right, Maria. And that's what we see across the state. And that's what we see nationally as well. And even internationally. So you, you have people who are incredibly victimized in the, one of the most horrific ways imaginable. And um, they're not going to come out and tell you necessarily most often. It's actually the exception when they do. And there's a lot of reasons for that. What I, what I can tell you is that when um, it, it's the demand that's driving this. And when you know there is a community that has a, a, a high demand, it's going to be there. And the onus is on law enforcement, the service providers to recognize it and to be able to then put systems in place to recover those victims. So um, in anticipation of this call today of this uh, webinar, I did do some research to see what does it look like for your communities as far as sex ads, you know, like today, like th there's a system called Spotlight and that system allows us to to uh, identify sex ads that are placed all across the state. And so um, ran that. And I just want to say as of uh, just a couple hours ago, um, there are 276 ads with a mention of Lufkin um, that are online right now looking for sex, looking to buy sex. 18 of those ads are suspected juveniles that are, are uh, you know, soliciting you know, uh, putting ads to be able to um, 
um, allow someone to purchase sex. Um, there were th there are 332 ads that mention Nacogdoches somewhere in the ad. Wow. 17 of those were suspected juvenile ads. So it's it's there, it's there. Mm -hmm. And um, certainly we're seeing a lot throughout uh, East Texas, uh, a, lot, uh, a lot of ads in, in Beaumont, uh, College Station, Galveston, uh, Huntsville, Houston. Um, and so we, we see those ads and when those ads are there, we know that there are buyers ready to buy sex. Mm -hmm. Janet, you, you mentioned ads, and I don't know if you want—I don't know if you want to say this or not—but where are these ads? I mean, if someone puts an ad for sex, where do they place such an ad? Well, they are very careful where they place them. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to disclose specifically. <laughs> and that's perfectly fine. <laughs> Probably. Law enforcement is watching them oh, yeah. and they, are, they respond to those ads uh, with, uh, with sting operations. So um, they, I guess maybe they, I'm just a little naive. <laughs> <laughs> when you said placing ads, I'm like, okay, well, you know, uh, no, and I completely understand why you might not want to. I, I will tell you, people are very discreet and they are able to do things on common apps, even such as Pinterest, social media. Um, you know, the demand is there. And as long as there's a demand, you're going to have exploiters, you're going to have traffickers finding yeah. ways to access that demand and get the information to them. So a lot of it is as simple as social media. Wow. So yeah. in, in the world of trafficking, are you, is it, is it more children or adults that uh, get involved in this world? You know, it's mostly, you, you have both, right? But those who are being trafficked, the trafficking started for the majority of them when they were a child. Okay. So um, and as early as, as 14, um, some earlier, but that tends to be kind of an average age. I will tell you in a lot of the recoveries that we're seeing, the average age of those recoveries tends to be um, 17 to the early 20s. Okay. And, and how, are, how are people lured into this world of of, of trafficking. Yeah. You know, uh, you know I, I would kind of think, and I think again, I'm kind of going back to Maria and I's conversations in the past. It's not like, hey, you want to work as a prostitute? I can be your pimp. I'm sure it's a little, a slicker and trickier way to get people involved in this. Absolutely. I, I don't believe most, most people growing up, grow up with that dream. Um, you know, there, there may be some who grew up with the dream of being glamorous and may glamorize that lifestyle and yeah. think that there might be a way to it, but that's even then the very few and far in between. So yeah, there is a very um, intense grooming process. These exploiters are, are very um, savvy at what they do and they are working to create what, what is called a trauma bond with these youth so that they began by befriending, um, meeting some of their uh, needs. A, a lot of children, let's just face it, are vulnerable. There are a lot of vulnerabilities. So they look for vulnerabilities for in children, youth, young adults, 
to to um, exploit. And so if you have someone who's experiencing homelessness, if you have someone who is just really insecure, maybe has an unstable home life, even though they may not have those things, we have seen um, teens who are in very um, healthy homes by all standards. They have parents who are very involved. They have their basic needs met. But just the fact that their brain isn't fully developed until, you know, approximately 25, they're a little bit vulnerable and gullible, right? And so um, a lot of it takes place online. So you have someone who's seeking you out, who is um, telling you how beautiful you are and they love you and all these things, or your parents just don't really understand. They're too strict and they create this bond with them and, um, And then um, they eventually start to sexually assault them. And then that turns into some of the beatings. And and so they they began to do violent acts, but intermittently with acts of kindness. And, oh, I love you. And, you know, and and began to start to to convince them that this is something that's their fault or something that they wanted or something that's their idea. And that's how they keep them there. But it's a very methodical process um, and it works unfortunately well do groomers and and this is a question for either one of you do do groomers specifically look is there a certain type of youth that they're kind of looking for that would make an ideal target does that make sense do you know what i'm you know Mm -hmm. are they looking for particular vulnerabilities or little telltale signs that hey this person may be what we need they they definitely look for a vulnerable person um and usually they can pick up on that with conversation sometimes with body language and everything but what they're definitely listening for somebody who has needs or somebody who is saying that like something horrific has happened um something's going on at home that shouldn't be happening and everything and it does the exploitation doesn't happen immediately like they will try to like Janice said befriend them gain their trust and everything and eventually that is whenever the exploitation will start they can say something like oh well I have provided this for you um or we're kind of lacking the funds right now it's time for you to pay up make some money pull your own weight and everything so they definitely look for people that have vulnerabilities and they will use that against them yeah, and, and certainly what we see is those who, who are most at risk are, are, are those who have a history of child abuse or sexual abuse, involvement with the child welfare system, involvement with the juvenile justice system, experiencing homelessness, um, poverty. Those are the 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 population that is at most at risk. But as Maria said, you know, they, they look for anyone that can, can give a signal of, I have a need, I have a vulnerability. I'm a little insecure. They're going to exploit that. Okay. Yeah. And I can't, I can't remember which study I read this in. I wish I remembered, but, um, I read that in one study approximately, um, 50, 55% of the victims met their traffickers online. And so whenever I go out to the community and educate, whether it be teachers or just, you know, regular citizens, law enforcement, whatever it may be, um, I always, you know, 
point that study out and I always tell them like wherever there is internet, Wi-Fi, I mean, these traffickers have access to your children in the living room, in their bedrooms, wherever there's internet. So it's, it's, um, I know you has asked the question, like, how is it looking at, but um, earlier, and I hate that I went back to it, I just wanted to point it out really quick, but it's, it's, it's happening more and more online. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the predominant way that um, exploiters are using to, to connect with potential victims. Janet, this may be a very broad question, but what is the governor's office doing to combat this problem? Obviously, there's the task force that you're involved in, but how do you even go about uh, fighting this problem? Yeah, well, you know, we have a lot of strategies built around, as I said, uh, protection prevention. And, um, you know, we we have done a lot of work to... um, to, to bring awareness events, to bring training. There's been a lot of a great legislation passed to include um, education on commercial sexual exploitation in schools so that um, you know, the, the children are, are being taught of what to look for, how to build up a resiliency towards being trafficked. Um, There are laws that require uh, school officials, school employees, staff, teachers to all be trained um, in this so that they can identify it, they can recognize it, and uh, have strategies within the school to protect their children. And so that's one thing that we're doing, um, funding some programs across the state to really build up a child's uh, resiliency to falling prey to this. So big brothers, big sisters, other mentoring type programs we have funded because what, one of the things that we did early on was ask um, the University of Texas, we funded them to do some research for us to better understand what trafficking looks like, how many are being exploited across our state, as well as what are some of the um, things that could could really help a a child one leave exploitation as well as prevent exploitation and you know they were able to substantiate what we had already been seeing was that uh, the best way to prevent this from happening is to ensure that our kids have a trusted adult healthy positive relationship with an adult in their life Um, because when that happens they um, they don't have the needs there. They don't, that the, tri- the survivor is exploiting, they, right? They've already bonded with someone who's meeting their emotional needs and who's looking out for them and keeping them protected. And so we funded a lot of programs to do that. Um, and, and then our, in our model, once a, a youth is a recovered, we actually have created a new um professional in this space to support those kids. And we call them CSA advocates, which stands for commercially sexually exploited youth advocate. And that advocate is there to really counteract that trauma bond that that youth has with their exploiter that has enabled them to continue the exploitation. And so basically it is a relationship that's built on trust and support and walks through them every step of the way in their healing journey. And, and we're seeing that that's, that's working. Kids, once they are recovered, 
uh, we're seeing those bonds begin to break and they're not returning to that uh, unhealthy, exploited relationship, whereas before they were. And so uh, now I wish I could say every single kid that has been recovered and has been assigned an advocate and has been in these programs has never returned to their exploiter. Um, no, it's not that simple. But what I can say is they're returning less. And when they do return to their trafficker, they leave quicker and go back into services. So it's, it's working. And then eventually they stop running. What can the ordinary citizen in East Texas who may be listening to this podcast or parents who are out there, teachers, or what can we do to kind of help combat this? What role can we play? Yeah, I'm so happy that you asked that because I, I know myself and I know Maria too can give lots of ideas. What, what I will say is, first of all, pay attention to the kids in your sphere of influence, right? Make sure they have their needs met. Make sure they know how valuable they are. And um, we actually just launched a campaign in our state um, this fall called Real Friends Don't. And what that campaign says basically is, hey, youth, young adults, children, real friends don't ask you to take your clothes off and do things that you're uncomfortable doing. A real friend doesn't do that. A real friend doesn't take pictures of you in that state and, and bribe you with them. That's not what real friends do. So, you know, the, the community really needs to get that message to our kids, really need to watch what your kids are doing online. Um, you know, Maria hinted, that, hinted at that already. Um, you know, our, the whole world has access to your kid if they have a smartphone. You know, and one of the things I like to say is, would you allow a perfect stranger into your child's bedroom after you go to bed? Absolutely, you wouldn't. But yet you're doing that by letting them have a smartphone, right? So we just need to pay attention to that. And then, and then we need to understand what it looks like, because a lot of times we think it looks like um, the images that are put in front of us a lot of, of people with, with literal chains on their wrist. And if that's what we're looking for, we're not going to see it. Um, the chains are there, but they're invisible. They're emotional bonds, they're trauma bonds. And so we have to get a realistic picture of what it looks like so that we can recognize it quicker. Yeah. And, and I say support Maria, support the organization that you guys um, are, are leading out in East Texas. You guys are doing amazing work. And so support, support you guys in this work because you guys are helping to identify victims. You're providing them the support, the counseling, the ongoing services. And um, it, it takes, it takes a village yeah. as, as we all know. Maria, do you have anything you want to add? Janet just took it all and just said everything. Like she is on point. It, we, we, what survivors need, especially children, are like Janet said, safe adults, like an adult that's going to listen to them, an adult that's willing to fulfill their needs and everything. And, you know, it's just like Janet said, like, you know, survivors, they may go back to the trafficker where we, that should actually be expected in my own, you know, words, because like it, 
the chance of them going back to a trafficker is there. Um, that's what they know. That's what they may have known for a long time. And so it doesn't matter how many times they go back. Like we always have to be there for them. We always have to support them, have a listening ear and everything. And so the whole CSA advocacy thing is, is amazing. Um, and hopefully we, we will have it, hopefully. Um, and <laughs> um, I know that for sure we are going to do the see it tool now officially next year so we're going in the right path <laughs> so it's um I'm excited about it and, and Janet said everything that that you know needed to be said okay what is the last you know and let's say even you know you're able to get someone out of that world and that life of of being trafficked what's and they get back in, in, into normal society what's the lasting impact though being in being trafficked and being in that that world or, or or that life what's the lasting impact that it does it have on a person like that do you want me to respond maria or would you like to take that I, i'm trying to hold back because i will talk a well, lot you you go <laughs> you you go ahead because he's going to do another podcast with me so i don't want to take too much of you know your your shine <laughs> Well, I, I just want to say, you know, there is a long lasting effect. Um, if, if you can imagine uh, being beaten and sexually assaulted, raped over and over again, 20 times a day on average, seven days a week, what that does to a person. And so the, the trauma is severe. It's very real. And it takes years of healing. And so what I would like to say is, um, for any of you who may be listening, try to wrap your mind around that and try to understand it. Um, and, and then things will begin to make sense to you when you see these survivors um, struggling so much as they're moving forward. They need a lot of support and they need a lot of understanding. Um, you know, I, I can imagine when, when you hear they return to their trafficker, you're thinking, why on earth would they do that? Well, there is a lot of psychological damage that has happened to them. And believe it or not, there is a sense of safety in that victimization because they've beaten them down so much they're used to it and at least they know what to expect. Yeah. But it's scary to come out of that lifestyle and try to live a quote unquote normal life so it takes years of therapy, years of support. Um, it actually changes the way one's brain is wired. And so um, they walk around in a, a hypervigilant state. They're, always, they're on alert. They have what's called trauma triggers. If, if you don't know what those are, they're anything that could, and they're different for everybody, that you could have an, a day that to the rest of us seems like a normal safe day and someone could say something, you could hear a song, you could smell a certain smell. And in that moment, you could be transported back to a horrific time of victimization. And it's very real. It's like you're there and you're stunted and you're stuck in that moment. And it's very scary. It's very painful. It's very real. And that may result in someone yelling, running, fleeing, fighting, or shutting down and going inward. And, and so um, 
you, you, you can expect a lot of those things from someone who has been through that. And so a lot of patience, a lot of understanding, a lot of support is required. Yeah. Right. yeah and I, I also read that, um, you know, recovering and placing a survivor in a safe place. I mean, a lot of people think that that could, that's like the end of the fight, but really that's the beginning of the fight for the survivor, because it's like, they're trying to adapt to a new environment that's safe where they have people that are trying to support them. They're loving them. They're caring for them and everything. But what they're used to is the abuse and the exploitation. And so really when somebody has been recovered and like I said, placed somewhere safe, I mean, the fight is, is beginning. Yeah. And, and just because we say it's safe, it doesn't mean that it necessarily feels safe to them. And so that felt safely felt safety is very important. And so we need to take that into consideration as well. Um, yeah. All right. Um, before we go, I, I want, um, Maria real quick, uh, January is human trafficking awareness month and, uh, the Family Crisis Center, we are planning an event. Uh, Maria, do you have, a, do you want to share with that what what um, what we have planned on doing? Yeah, so um, we actually have several um, awareness events all around Deep East Texas. Um, we're going to have it in Lufkin, Crockett, Nacogdoches, and Center. Um, they're going to be small. We're going to have like, you know, a couple of speakers and some food and it's just to raise awareness about human trafficking to the community. Like what are some of the red flags? What is human trafficking? What does it look like? Who to report to and everything. But the big, the biggest one, the main event that we're going to be having um, is going to be in Nacogdoches. It's going to be January 22nd from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Um, we are going to be having several speakers there. Jen's going to be one of them. So yay. Um, we are, we're definitely, we have confirmed a food truck. Um, and we're also going to be having like a, um, like a price thing, so to say, um, the person that speaks to all of the agencies, or if not to the majority of the agencies, they can win a prize. So, you know, we just want the community to know what resources are out there for human trafficking survivors. And like, you know, maybe they get a survivor and the survivor says that, I, well, I just really want counseling. Well, they know they can you know, refer them to us, refer them to crossover counseling or to another counseling agency. Um, that's the goal. Um, and we are going to have a walk too, which I'm super excited. I'm actually just walked it yesterday. It's about um, 1.2 miles. So it's, a, it's longer than last year. <laughs> um, and the walk is going to start at 12.15. So we're, we're excited. All right. Awesome. Looking forward it's going to gonna that. be in, in Festival Park. I forgot to mention that. In Festival Park in Nacogdoches. In Nacogdoches. All right. Excellent. All right. Well, guys, uh, Janet and Maria, thank you all for taking, again, some, taking some time out and uh, and talking with me. Thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you, you Janet. Absolutely. So happy to be a part. Well, again, I do want to thank Maria and Janet for taking time out of their schedules to uh to talk with us on the podcast today and if you have any questions about what you may have heard or if uh, 
If you feel like you need our services, if you need the services of the Family Crisis Center, we do have a toll-free 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week hotline. Uh, That number is 1-800-828-7233. Again, that's 1-800-828-7233. And also, be sure to subscribe to Conversations and Connections. You can subscribe via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or the podcast service of your choice. And remember, as always, be the voice, if not for you, for someone else.